It's good to be in God's house. It's, uh, if this is your first time here, I hope it won't be your last because you really need to be here when the pastor's here because the guy is awesome and, and no one can do it like he can do it. So, you know, somebody has to do it when he's gone. Now, that's just the way it is. I'm sorry for you, <laughs> but somebody has to do this. And um, here I am. Uh, the Bible says in Isaiah, it says you need to become willing and obedient if you intend to eat of the good of the land. Now, I've done an extensive search on willing. That word willing does not mean you got to be eager. It just means you got to be willing. Okay? It just means you need to shut up and do it. It doesn't mean you got to be happy about it. Don't mean you got to be excited about it. Don't mean you got to run for the opportunity to do it. And if you think I'm wrong... Uh, look in the New Testament when Jesus is praying in the garden and he says, Father, take this cup from me. I won't do this. And he's talking about hanging on a cross for you and I. And he don't want to do it. He says, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. You need a few more neverthelesses in your life. Okay, I've got one today in mine. Nevertheless, here I am. <laughs> yeah, let's do that. <laughs> But you need to get some neverthelesses in yours. I, I think, I don't know, I don't know your life. I just throw that out there for you. Uh, today, we're going to talk about the strange and the sudden. And that might be the description of what you tell people after you leave here today. It was kind of strange and quick. <laughs> but hopefully, uh, you'll get some out of it. I, I don't know. The Bible says in... in um, Tom was talking about one time his favorite, he thinks the favorite verse in the whole Bible is that one where the ships of gold made it Tarsus to go get whatever they were going to get, but they got broke. The only word I really remember out there is Geber. I remember that word. I, that's a good verse. I, I'm, I'm not going to argue with him. That could be the best verse. He's the pastor. We'll give it to him. That's the best verse. The second best verse, <laughs> is, I think it's found in First uh, Samuel Chapter 16, probably, I don't know, it's 14. Who has a Bible? Let me look that up. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 16, 14, verse 6, or 16, verse 4. But anyway, what's happening right there at that particular time is the children of Israel are being led by Saul. And there ain't no weapons nowhere. They are without weaponry. Bible says in that chapter in there, it says there were no smiths found throughout the land. And he's not talking about John, Joe, George, Smith. He's talking about no smiths, which means there were no blacksmiths. There was no one there to form weapons for the children. They had taken them all. The Philistines had gathered them all up, knocked out all the smiths. Is that about it? Was I right? Is that where this is happening? And Jonathan turns to his armor bearer, and he says to him, look, man, we need to go up and, 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 and get these guys right here. And he says, and this is the phrase that I love the most. It says, it could be that the Lord would work for us. For God is not restrained to save by many or by few. Now, many is a large number. So God is not restrained to save by a great preacher or a not so great preacher. Because there's not the preacher that's going to do the work anyway. It's the Word of God. That's what's going to do the work. So this morning, this might be strange, it might be sudden, but it could be that God would work for us if you will just muster up a little faith, pray, and we'll get out of here. Now, I can promise you right now, I cannot get you out of here to get you down to the buffet before the Baptist. That just will not happen. It's almost, they're almost there now. They're getting in their cars and they're in the parking lot. So you ain't got a chance of beating those guys. But you, you could beat uh, uh, the Methodists. I don't know <laughs> how long they take. But the word suddenly occurs in the Bible, in a King James Bible, some 41 times. And I want to look at some of them today. Now, the first one I want to look at is in Luke 2.13. It says, that's where the angel comes and he's talking to, uh, you don't have to turn there because we're not going to spend much time on any of these. I just, just want to point them out to you as I get to where I'm going. 
Um, the, the word says that the angel comes and he's talking to the shepherds. And as he's telling them about the baby, the Christ child that's about to be born, he says, and suddenly there was a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God. Suddenly. One angel's talking, then suddenly, just that quick, there's a multitude of angels. Another time in Christ's ministry, as he's walking, it says that a man comes to him. This is in Luke 9, 39. Uh, a case of a suddenly is mentioned here when a guy comes to Jesus and he says, Master, would you look at my son? He's my only child. And I've asked your disciples, but they can't help him. They ain't nothing they can do for him. I, I, I've talked to them about it, and they, they ain't got what it takes. He says, but at times, when, when it seems unpredictable, suddenly a spirit will come and seize him. And if you read that, it says it seizes him. Throw, at times he got thrown in the water. Sometimes he got thrown in the fire. said he was foaming at the mouth. This kid had a problem. Now, just as suddenly as there was a host of angelic beings, we read in Luke 9 that just as quick, there is also a sudden visitation of demonic beings. Okay? Just as quick. An intrusion of spiritual beings into the human scene, both cases, two times in the scriptures. It happens suddenly. Uh, in Acts 2 and 2, the church began, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind. We're familiar with that. Acts 22 and 6, the apostle Paul is standing before King Agrippa. He's given his testimony, and he says, I was on the road to Damascus, I believe, he says, and suddenly a bright light came down, shined upon me, knocked me right up off my donkey. You thought I was going to say that word anyway, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't. He knocked him right down on the road, and, and, and his conversion began right there, suddenly. Let me just say this in passing. If you need a suddenly like that, it can happen, suddenly. Your life can be changed, just like Saul was changed he was Saul then he wasn't Paul yet but God moved suddenly Malachi 3 1 and the Lord whom you seek shall suddenly come to his temple suddenly occurs a lot in the Bible now I want us to turn to Romans chapter 9 and verse 28 if you could put that up on the screen and I know you're looking at that and you're reading it and you're going well I don't see the word suddenly in there nowhere but it doesn't exactly say suddenly, but it means suddenly. I know because I looked it up. And um, you, when you look up the word suddenly in a dictionary, and if you, it, it'll tell you that, is it synonyms? Is that what they call them? Synonyms of it is short, quick. Okay? It means sudden. Same thing. So right here, Paul in Romans chapter 9 says, For he, talking about God, will finish the work, cut it short in righteousness, because a short work will the Lord make upon the earth. Um, suddenly. is described here when he's talking about the short work, the right, that he's going to cut short in righteousness, and the Lord will make a short work upon the earth. He's talking about the activity by which God moves in, by his grace, for his glory, and in his method does something more rapidly than man can imagine. Now, when he's reading here, he's talking to the Romans... He's talking about the last day's work with his church, Israel. That's, that's what he's talking about right here. But in this, if we look at it, you'll notice that the phraseology is kind of whacked. It's a little different. He says, I'm going to finish the work. I'm going to cut it short in righteousness because a short work will the Lord make upon the earth. He says the same thing three times, just in a different way. Now, numerology in the scripture is used all the time, and it, and it has meaning. Three is usually the Trinity. So when I read this, I read it like this. The, sons, the Father speaks. I'm going to finish the work. The Son speaks. I'm going to cut it short in righteousness. And it's almost like the Holy Ghost says, yeah, and a short work will the Lord make upon the whole earth. Suddenly, it, it's going to happen quick. He's going to cut it short, and it's going to happen in a sudden way. Now, I grew up in church. Um, my dad was a preacher, and he preached the whole time I was growing up, had his own little band. Uh, Tom tells his testimony. It's like his dad made him go with him and play the guitar. My dad had his own guitar. He didn't need me. He just drug us with him everywhere he went. We was drug babies. Got drug all over the place. 
But what would happen was, see, well, I was born and raised in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Now, that's, that's a long ways from here, and they do everything different down there. They don't do nothing the way y'all do it out here. Every Saturday and every Sunday, they'd have what they call singings. And what that is, is uh, singings. They, the, where they set up at a church, it was usually a Baptist church, because them Baptist folks love to sing. God bless them. And, uh, and they'd set up their stuff, and uh, Dad would come and he'd play. But the catch on that is, he would always drag, they'd always say this to him, can you bring them little kids? Can you bring the kids and let them kids sing? Because it was kind of cute. My sister is a singer now. I'm telling you what. She would blow your socks off. She could play a piano like Elton John and sing as good as Whitney Houston used to be able to. Okay? She could still do her. My sister can blow a song. She is just that good. And as a kid, they wanted, could you bring the kid? Let them little kids sing. So naturally, we had to go. Now, I have an older brother who didn't sing or play. Lucky devil got to stay home a whole lot of the time. Now, if you listen to his tell the story, he'll say, no, I had to go every time, but that's a lie. He did not. I can remember lots of times. Remember them old station wagons they used to have back in the day? Had three seats in it. The one in the back flipped up, and you had to look backwards. That's the seat I got every stinking time because the adults got the real seats. We got chucked in the back. I can remember going down that road, Looking backwards out the back of the station wagon, thrust up against the window like this, looking at my brother playing. Oh, my God, I want to stay with him. But it didn't matter because they wanted to see them little kids. Bring the kids. Now, we would drive for hours to get to this church. And when we got there, we'd have singing. All they did was sing. They'd sing about Jesus. And, uh, but it, there was one good side to it. Usually at the end of every singing, because at these Baptist churches, they were usually way out in the woods. And they only had like 50, 60 people. And most of them was old as Methuselah. The people was old. And afterwards, they had, I don't even know how they got to church. They were so old, man. <laughs> but when it was over, they'd come up and they'd, they'd reach in their little pocketbooks and they'd get out little dollar bills and they'd give it to the kids. Give it to the kids. Kid can get something. So I'd get home. I look at my brother and I'd reach in my pocket and go, oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> Who's the man now? <laughs> Got me some dollars. <laughs> but anyway, we would get, we'd go to these singings. But if I had a dollar for every time I heard a preacher say, the Lord is up to something, I'm not sure what it is, but when he moves, I want to be ready to move with him. Uh, I heard that a lot growing up. And I'm telling you today that God is moving and he's going to move in a sudden way. He tells us that right here. And you want to be ready so that you don't miss when God moves in his sudden work. You want to be ready and in tune with the Spirit so you don't get left out. Now, he says he's going to finish the work, cut it short in righteousness. Now, when he's saying that in righteousness thing, how does righteousness come to us? It's not anything that you do. It's all done because of Christ. It's his finished work. You, through faith, reach out, accept what he offers to you by grace, and the instant that you do, wham, that fast, that quick, you're righteous. See, that right there is something for you to shout about. You are just that, that righteous, that quick. You ain't got to earn it. You ain't got to work for it. When you reach out and receive what he offers to you by grace, through faith, you're righteous right now. That's just how fast God's going to move. And if you're not ready, that's just how fast you're going to get left out. Now, if we look in chapter 9 of Romans and we read this, what Paul is doing here is he's quoting from two chapters from the book of Isaiah. He's quoting from chapter 10 and he's quoting from chapter 28. And in both those chapters, you will find a word used there that is, uh, oh, well, let's just look at them. You turn to 1023. Okay. For the Lord God of hosts shall make a consumption even determined in the midst of all the land. If you are taking notes or if you write in your Bible, what you need to do is either write down or underline the word 
determined. That's, that's the word. That's the word that is the same meaning as we got going over here in Romans chapter 9, that cut short, quickly word. Now, it doesn't stand out quite, you know, doesn't just leap off the page at you when you start reading it. It took me a long time to find this. I was sharing with these guys last night that I was running in circles, man. I had uh, all kinds of books out. I had, uh, I had the computer was about to fry and meltdown trying to find, because I was reading the book, and all the guy said to me was, he didn't say all the guy said, I was reading the book, and all the guy said to me was, check that out. Somebody's been smoking something this morning. And they, I was reading the book, and all the book said was, Isaiah, uh, Paul is quoting from Isaiah. And he didn't tell me where, so I'm trying to find it. So I was looking, and finally I do what I normally do when I can't find anything. I call my brother, who knows everything. And he told me, he says, well, son, don't you got yourself a Thompson Chain reference Bible? I'm like, well, yes, I do. I got one right here. Matter of fact, I didn't even think about it, but this Bible right here would give to me probably like 16 years ago by the pastor himself. I love this Bible. I don't let nobody touch Don't touch this Bible. It's a special Bible to me. Okay. Oh, you know what? I just thought about this. Oh, never mind. Not worry about it now. Let it go. Huh? Oh, no. You. Okay, what I was going to say is this. The one thing that we normally do here when the pastor's here, I just forgot to do it, is he always says that you need to get into God's Word. Does he not say that, those of you who are here all the time? And then he puts his money where his mouth is. He says to you, he wants you to get in the Word so bad that if you don't own one, he will give you one. Now, if you're in here today and that's your situation, I didn't say if you didn't bring yours, remember, if you don't own one, you just left it at home, that's kind of like Ken Griffey showing up at the ballpark without his bat. That don't make no sense to me why you would show up without by bringing your mat or your mitt. You come to church, you should have brought your Bible. That's, that's, that'd be a good time for amen. Okay, you should have brought your Bible. But if you don't own one, they always give you one. So if you're in that condition, uh, that's one thing I really dig about this place, man. I mean, he don't just tell you that. He'll give you one. So if you need one, raise your hand. Someone will bring you one. That's what I was thinking. It wasn't nothing bad. Maybe uh, losing the train of thought now. But, uh, oh, I called my brother, and, and I have this Bible here. And, and I looked it up, and it led me to these two passages here in Isaiah, chapter 23, Chapter 10 and chapter 28. Now, the word that he uses here for the word determined is the word haratz. And what it means is to, it's a, I wrote it down. In its meaning it has, it means a complete and total devastation upon God's opponent. It has to do with something that happens so rapidly, so suddenly, it's scary. It's not destruction in the normal order of things, but it is the amazingly speedily order of things. Let's look at Isaiah 28 and 21. All right, let's, look, let's take a look at that. For the Lord God shall rise up as in Mount Perizim. He shall be wroth as in the valley of Gibeon, that he might do his work, his strange work, and bring to pass his act, his strange act. 20, therefore... Be ye not mockers, lest your bands be made strong, for I have heard from the Lord God of hosts a consumption even determined upon the whole earth. So what Isaiah is saying here is God is going to do something, and he's going to do it so quick, and it's going to happen so fast, you need to be ready because you don't want to miss what God's going to do. Okay? Now, when he says, Now, therefore, be ye not mockers, Lest your bands be made strong. What bands could he be talking about other than the bands of fear, the bands of doubt, the bands of uh, just because you ain't never seen it that way before, the bands of, I call it institutionalization. You're institutionalized. If it didn't happen that way where you went, it can't happen that way. God can't work. Let, let Let me read to you what I consider to be some really tough reading in, in, in this book. Yeah, flip it over here. Get my second pair of eyeballs. Maybe 
And it starts in verse 23 of the same chapter. It says, Give ear and hear my voice. Hearken and hear my speech. Doth the plowman plow all day to sow? Doth he open and break the clods of the ground? When he hath made plain the face thereof, doth he not cast abroad the fetches and scatter the coming and cast in the principal wheat and appoint barley at the rye in their place? For the fetches are not threshed with a threshing instrument, neither is a cart wheel turned upon the coming, but the fetches are beaten out with a staff and the coming with a rod. Red corn is bruised because he will not ever be threshing it or break it with the wheel of the cart nor bruise it with his horsemen. Hallelujah. And you read that and you just, you know, you just ask yourself, well, so what, Lord? What's coming got to do with it and barley and all that stuff? But remember, a guy told me this one time. He says, it depends on what part of the country you're standing in as to how stupid you look when you say something. Now, this guy is talking to an agricultural society. So when he made that statement, they got it. They knew exactly what he was saying. I didn't get it. I had to think about it. I had to ask some questions about it. I had to think, had to call somebody. (laughs) What does that mean, man? What is he talking about? Here's what he's saying. He's saying to these guys, look, Sometimes when you get ready to sow, he goes, you go out and you take an individual plant and you stick it in the ground. And you plant another one and then you plant another one and you plant another one. He said, and other times when you get ready to sow, you just go out there and you grab handfuls of seed and you just kind of broadcast it. He goes, and then there's other times when you're sowing, you draw a line in the ground and you grab some seed and you put some in here, you put some in there, put some in there. He goes, and then you come back, you get ready to harvest. He goes, you do that differently. He goes, sometimes you show up with a stick and you just start beating the plant and you beat it off. Other times you bring a sickle and you start cutting and you cut it off. Other times you go to each individual plant and you pick it off. What he's saying to you and me here is God sows all kinds of ways. He harvests in all kinds of ways. And when he gets ready to sow and to harvest, he could do it a little different than you're used to seeing it. He could harvest it a little different, a little faster than you're used to seeing it done. And if you're standing around mocking and sitting around with your bands on, you're going to miss not only the sowing, but you're going to miss the harvest that God's got going. The suddenly is going to take place, and you're just going to be over here like the three, you know, there's three kinds of people in every church. You've got the people who make things happen. You've got the people who watch things happen. And then you've got those people who just sit around and go, what just happened? Huh? Church is full of them kind of people right there. The first kind, and we call them the people who make things happen, those are facilitators. They're always out facilitating. They're making it go, man. They're, they're getting out there to doing the work. The ones that watch things happen, those are called Spectators. That's right. You're kidding. The third ones, the ones that just go, what happened? They're called taters. They're just plain old taters. What we need to do is get people from taterhood to facilitatorhood. We have got to get you out of your bands. We've got to get you to quit standing on the sidelines and mocking what's going on just because you don't understand it, just because you don't get it, and maybe even just because you don't like it. That don't mean that God ain't in it. That don't mean that God ain't working. Now, let me give you a couple examples of how I feel that works. The, we first got here. We hadn't been here very long in this facility. And someone come up with the great idea of having trunk or treat. Now, I don't know if you know what trunk or treat is, but that's when God's people get together on the devil's night and celebrate. That's the way I looked at it. That's, that's what it was to me. You know, I've been raised my whole life in a faraway land. Man, you need a passport to get where I was. <laughs> we just didn't do nothing like that. We never celebrated Halloween. That was the devil's night. You didn't come out and participate in that. And so when I heard that's what we were going to do, I was a little taken by it. I'm like, well, I, I just don't know about that. So the first time they had it, Marty didn't participate. He stayed home. I think I came up afterwards and helped maybe pick up some stuff just because I was curious to see what was going on. But I just couldn't get into that. that I, I stood on the side and was a mocker. 
couple weeks later, Lene gets up here. She's giving the testimony of how at Trunk or Treat, not only were people in the church, church touched, not only were their lives changed, but families actually came and were added to this local body because of Trunk or Treat. See, I'm over here with my band so tight I can't move. I'm mocking, and God's out here in the parking lot on Halloween at Trunk or Treat sowing and harvesting, and I stayed home and missed it. And I guarantee you there's things in your life, if you will just think about it, God's moving, you're sitting at home mocking, not wanting to take part in it because you don't get it or they didn't do it that way at your church, or maybe your grandmom or big mom or big papa didn't teach you to do it that way. Well, God bless your heart. Get over it because you're going to get so bound up you can't move. You're going to miss God suddenly. Okay? Now, tell you another one. We're just telling off on ourselves. I've already told these other two sermons, so I might as well just keep telling them. I'm already in so much trouble now, it's pitiful. <laughs> the other one was, I, when I was growing up, we were never allowed to touch a deck of playing cards. My Lord, that was the devil's card if there ever was one. And, and we couldn't even bring that in the house, Steve, much less <laughs> play with it. You know, if Dad would have caught us with that, he would give us a good whooping, man, you know. In our house, they, they had three ways of dealing with it. You got your typical spanking, you got your whooping, there was a beating, and every now and then they just had a good old hog killing. Now, you know, <laughs> I, I've experienced all four of them, believe me. That's right here we get you probably fall into whooping category. You get caught with some of these cards. But now I come to church, my pastor looks up. Now, how many of you know there's, there's three kinds of members, but there's also three kinds of pastors? You got your caretakers, your undertakers, and your risk takers. Just look around, look who's standing up here today. You know you're being led by a risk taker. Uh, Who else would go somewhere and say to me, hey, why don't you go up front and talk for 20, 30 minutes? What do you want me to say? Anything that comes to your mind, just say whatever. (laughs) Okay, I'll do it. I don't want to do it, but I'll do it. I'll become willing and obedient. But anyway... Think of my horror when my pastor says, we're going to have Texas night in the church. (laughs) Hello, is anybody home yet there? Are you kidding me? Do you not know that you don't bring those kind of cards into your house, much less into the house? Are you serious? I have two sons. I love them to death, but they are just as lost as they can be. I mean, you know, if we were going to rate them on a scale of 1 to 10, they're VIP centers. They're good at it. They're good people. They just lost. They need Jesus. Could never get them to come to church. Gave them some of those tickets for Texas night. Invited them to come, and they're like, I'm like, oh, come on, man. Surely you can come eat some barbecue. We'll even play cards. Oh, God. That hurt to say that one to me, to your own kid. Those are the same cards you told us was the devil's cards. <laughs> yeah, they're the same ones. <laughs> so I bring my kids. My kid brings his friends. To this day, now, they didn't get saved. But to this day, you can say to one of them when they're all together, and mention this church and they'll say, oh, yeah, we came to there. One of them will look at the other one and say, how big is your God? Hey, he's big as everything's big in Texas. They remember that sermon. Now, here I am once again. And I guarantee you, I've already had people come and tell me, hey, yeah, I was just like that. So I know I ain't the only as one. I'm just a dummy stood up here and said it. <laughs> here I was, afraid that, my God, we're going to lose the whole church. place was packed. Everyone loved it. My kids still talking about it. God is sowing. God is reaping. God is harvesting. And I'm nervous about it. Look, it ain't the way I'm used to doing it, but that's okay. Now, I guarantee you, the next time they tell me we're going to do something stupid, I ain't even going to question it. I'm just like, hey, man, lead on, brother. (laughs) You know, show me the way. Tell me when to show up. I mean, I ain't questioning nothing else we do because I've questioned two it's wrong both times. That's not a good average. But you've got to be sensitive to the Spirit. You've got to be ready to move when God moves. Now, go back to verse 21. 
God is telling these people, I sow all kinds of ways, I reap all kinds of ways, and when I do it, I'm going to do it quickly. I'm going to do it suddenly. It's going to be devastating, and it's going to be something that you ain't never seen before. And he gives them two examples from their history. So what he says is, For the Lord shall rise up as in Mount Perizim. He shall be wroth as in the valley of Gibeon, that he may do his work, his strange work, that he may bring to pass his act, his strange act. He says God is getting ready to move. He's harvesting in ways that you probably don't like. You certainly don't understand it. He's going to reap in ways and sow in ways that you don't know. He goes, but when I'm doing it, it's going to be quick and sudden, just like it was at Mount Perizim. So you've got to ask yourself, well, what happened at Perizim? Right? Isn't that the logical question? So what happened at Perizim? So let's, let's take a look at what happened at Perizim. This story is found in 2 Samuel chapter 5. I'm not going to turn there because I'm just going to tell you. David is at Mount Hebron, I think. And up until now, he has just had part of the nation of Israel on his team. The other part didn't want nothing to do with him. They were kind of a fragmented country. But at this particular instance in 2 Samuel chapter 5, they all come to him and say, Hey, we understand that God has chosen you. And even when Saul was our leader, it was you lots of times that had been taking us out and bringing us in. We understand that now. We're ready to get on your side. So they anointed David. I believe this is the third anointing of David's and the last. I could be wrong about that. You write that down. Go home find out. Don't take my word for it. Well, I'm pretty sure. Uh, you got any more of those Tic Tacs? Good Lord. Oh, yeah, I need one. Commercial break. My mouth getting so dry. All the water showed up under my armpits, left my mouth. Good Lord. It's backwards today. I don't know what's going on up in here. But what he says is, we're going to do it just like Parazim. So they all come up to him and they say to him, hey, man, we're going to be on your team. We're going to get with you. We're all, we're, we're on, we're, we're in cahoots. We're, we're one nation undivided. We love you. Rah, rah, go team. It's, it's all for one and one for all. And just no sooner did they decide to do that than the word got back to the Philistines. Now, the Philistines have up until this time been able to just do anything they wanted to to David. They've been able to kick him around, push him around, because he just ain't had a big enough army. But now what they see is him getting the whole nation together, all in unity, and what they're seeing is their strongholds are beginning to become threatened. Does that sound like the church today? Anytime God is in, and when you think about the local body, think about individuals. Because that's all the local body is. is that Tom says that all the time. It's a bunch of families. So they say to him, hey, man, we, we can't let these guys all get like, so we're going to mount up. We're going to take them out. So David goes and he says, Lord, will you deliver them into my hand? The Lord says, sure, I will. Here's the plan. Follow it. David does. Defeats the Philistines. Everything smooth after that. Now, Perizim is lived out every day in the life of the believer. Every time God begins a good work in you, thank you, the devil is going to try and put an end to that good work. You can count on it. When God starts something good in your life, the enemy is going to come and try and destroy that good thing. What does the pastor tell you? Your worst attack is going to come at your freshest revelation. I don't know where he got it, but it's proved right here at Mount Perizim. Then he goes on, he says, just like in the valley of Gibeon, that he may do his work, his strange work. So we have to ask ourselves, what happened at the valley of Gibeon? This is where you'll find this recorded in Joshua chapter 10. This is where Gibeon comes to Joshua and says, hey, man, those guys over there, and he names five kings, he goes, they're getting ready to attack me now. Me and you, we are in covenant. Now, you understand that David, is, I mean David, Joshua is really a type in the shadow of Christ. I don't have time to get into that, but you go home and, and read it, and you'll find that even the name, Joshua, Joshua, they're the same. They're, they're types and shadows. And, and that makes sense when you read this story. 
So they come to him and they say, look, they're coming to get us. We need your help. Um, You've already made a covenant with us, so show up. The Bible says suddenly Joshua leaves, travels all night to get over there and do battle with um, these five kings. Now, as he's doing the battle, the word of God says in one of them verses in there that as they're going through this one valley, God brings down hailstones. And he kills more of them with hailstones than the army that Joshua's leading kills them. That right there is good news. First of all, if you need help in any situation, you should be able to run to Yahshua, God. You should be able to ask him for help. He's in covenant with you. He will show up on your behalf. As your enemy's fleeing, he will beat the hell out of them right there in that valley. He will do it. He, you won't even have to do If that's not a strange work, a strange act, I don't know what is. Over in the Middle East, hailstones coming down, beating people up, killing more people than the army kills. Could you imagine if when Storm and Norman Schwarzkopf had been coming through there and they were rolling, all of a sudden a hailstorm came and took out that elite Republican guard? That, that's a joke. They weren't all that elite anyway, were they? But if you think back about it. Uh, I like to follow that stuff. But if he had, if Hailstone, they'd still be writing about that on CNN today. But that's exactly what happened in the Word of God. They're chasing him. Boom. Hailstone comes down. Now, he gets down there, and they're getting close to the city, and he says, God, I'm running out of time. i got to get them before they get inside that wall. I'll never get them out. So he says, I need the sun to stand still. I need more time. So he stands up and says, sun, stand still. We all know it happens. God stops the whole universe so this guy can wipe out the enemy of his friends, Gideon. I'm telling you, that's a strange and that's a sudden work. And that same strutting, sudden, strutting, that's a new word I got for sudden and devastating together, that's strutting. That means you are suddenly devastated. Strutting, write that down, the margin of your Bible, strutting. Uh, I'm telling you that the same thing can happen on your behalf because he says it right here in his word. If it's in his word, it's just as good for you as it is for him. Now, on the way back, they said the five kings, we've got them locked up inside this cave. What do we do with them? He says, let's just get them out, bring them out here. And he had every one of his soldiers come over and put his foot on the neck of his enemy before he killed him. Your enemy belongs under your feet. When you read that story, that's where he belongs. Now, those are the two suddenlies that are mentioned in Isaiah 28:21, when he talks about the Lord doing his strange work and his sudden work and his unusual work. And over in chapter 10, he mentions the one about what happened in Egypt. And we all know that that is... Uh, when Moses parted the Red Sea. You know that story. They're there. Pharaoh's army comes. Moses stands out there, holds the stick. The sea parts. They go across. Now, that's pretty awesome. That's pretty strange. That's, that happened kind of quick. But here's the thing about that that just kills me. Not only is that strange, but think about this for being strange. The enemy just saw the children of Israel go through there. Now, they see this water piled up on both sides. They know that ain't never happened before. That was God that did that. I mean, they had to know that, right? I mean, I would have figured that out. I ain't the sharpest tool in the shed, but I'm looking at that going, hmm, looks like they had some divine help. But these fools, God confounds them, and they decide they're going to chase them right into the very sea. Dumb idea. You would think somebody would have rode up to the guy in the front and said, Yo, Kimosabi, you look like a good place for an ambush to me. Maybe we should just let him go. No, no one had that kind of common sense. They all went in there. God destroyed the enemy that day. That same kind of thing. There is nothing that stands before us that God can't open up and God can't make a way for you if you will just ask him. He will do that for you. Now, those are the suddenlies that are mentioned 
in this chapter, and there's one more subtly, and we're out of here. We're putting the landing gear down right here. We're, we're about to make We're banking. But I want to do one more, and it's found in Acts. It's the last suddenly, and uh, it's probably my favorite one. And, and it's the... Uh, it's the one where Paul and Silas are in prison. And we're all familiar with that one. Uh, the Bible says that at midnight they begin to sing and praise. But it starts out with, let's just, let's just read it a little bit, just for a minute. If you don't have a Bible, look on with somebody. Uh, verse 22, And the multitude rose up together against them, and then magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison. Now, you've got to understand, the inner prison is like the dungeon. And it, it ain't like these little prisons we got around here. I don't know if you've ever been in the Benton County Jail. It ain't that bad, you know. Not saying I've been there. I'm just saying it ain't that bad. It was built for humans, okay? You can, you can make it in there. It's, it'll be all right. Um, it, it ain't as nice as it is out here, but it ain't that bad. Some of you are smiling. I gotta, I'm kind of thinking some of you have been there too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, food ain't that bad. They let you sit around and play cards and stuff. But anyway, that is not the kind of prison these guys are in. They are in a real prison. And having received such a charge, they thrust them into the prison, and they told the guy to take care of them, so he puts them into the inner prison. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison shook. Now, doesn't it just seem weird that all the bad stuff always happens at midnight, don't it? It's... It's midnight, man. That's when the I was sharing this morning about, you've all remembered the story about the little princess. What was her name? Cinderella. She was having a wonderful evening, wasn't she? Everything was so pretty. It was just lovely. But at midnight, things got ugly. Kind of sounds like, that little story kind of sounds like this story. They were out here teaching, preaching God's word. Next thing you know, it was the middle of the day, but midnight showed up. They got their clothes ripped off, their backs beat, and thrown into prison. And now when you read this, I was reading it in several translations this week, not just the King James Version. But some of them said that as they sang, they sang a robust. Other ones said they sang loud. Other ones they had. But I came across one version. It was the Revised the Musicians Edition. And... And it was an excellent version and account of this story, and it went something like this. Um, I didn't print it out or nothing, but it went something like this. Paul and Silas are beaten and cast into the prison, into the dungeon, the inner prison, where it is darker than a thousand midnights, as dark. That's dark. A thousand midnights. That's how dark it was. Paul and Silas, their backs are beating, bleeding, hurting. Paul's leaning back up against these cold, damp, dank brick wall trying to cool his fevered back. And he listens and he can hear the rats walking across the floor. Paul says, over to Silas. He says, What are they, Holmes? Now that I say. Oh, no, that's the wrong Bible. That was, that was the Spanish Bible I was reading that one in. He says, Silas, you over there? Yeah, man, I'm over there. He says, How you doing? I says, Ah, man, I'm, I'm doing all right. How you doing? He says, Well, I'm all right. He says, but you know what? What? He goes, I, I feel, feel a praise coming on. I feel like singing for some reason. Now, you've got to remember, the same guy who wrote Romans 9:28 has also read Isaiah 54 where he says, sing, O barren, sing. 
That same guy knew that scripture. So as he's sitting in this prison, he knows that if he will just sing his way, a suddenly could happen. So he says to him, I, I kind of feel like singing. You've got to be kidding me. I don't feel like singing. Now let's sing a song, man. What song do you want to sing? You know that one we were singing over there at Lydia's house right before they threw us in here? Oh, all right. We can do that. He says, okay, let's sing. He goes, well, look, you sing the lead. I'll get the low part. I don't think I can reach that high part tonight. My back's hurt. <laughs> he said, okay. So they began to sing. Now, the version I was reading says that all the prisoners heard them singing. All of them. And it says uh, something like, and the song began to fill the prison. And it began to leak out of the prison. The song began to find its way into the air. And it found its way through the atmosphere. It found its way through the stratosphere, up through the ionosphere, straight into the throne room of God. Now, God is sitting there, meanwhile, with Michael, having a conversation. God looks over and he says, Michael, what's that I hear? Michael says, well, what's what you hear, Lord? He goes, I hear a song. He goes, what do you mean you hear a song? Of course you hear a song. Heaven's filled with songs. They sing around here day and night. It never stops. He goes, no. Remember when I was down there and a woman came by and touched me? And I tried to tell the boys, I said, look, somebody touched me. And they said, what are you talking about? Everybody's touching you. And I tried to tell them, no, I got touched. He goes, this is that kind of a song. It's the same song. So Michael and Jesus both lean over the rail of heaven to listen. Jesus says, yeah, I know that song. I have right that one. Hey, that's Paul. I know that guy. And he's singing with Silas. The Bible says that heaven is God's throne and earth is his footstool. So as they begin to listen to the song, Jesus began to tap. And the more he liked the song, the harder he started tapping. And pretty soon, Philippi began to shake. And the Bible says that the doors flew open and the bonds fell off because these guys sang their way into a suddenly. I'm telling you, because it's written in God's word, you can sing your way into your neck suddenly. All you have to do is begin to pray and begin to sing, and a suddenly can happen in your life. And it doesn't really matter what it is you need. God can do it suddenly. Now, what I need you to do right now is close your Bible Bow your head, because here we come. We're landing this thing now. We're going to bring her down for a landing. And I want, to, I want you to close your eyes and bow your head. And I want you to think about some things as we get ready to leave this place. One thing you need to know is that there is a season of suddenlies that he prophesied, and they apply to situations that we face. And if you start singing your way toward your suddenly, God's got some blessings for you. And my question for you this morning is, what kind of a strange act do you need God to perform in your life? Do you need a, a suddenly in your life? Do you need a sudden healing? Or maybe it's going to take a a strange and a sudden act to fix that relationship that you've messed up. You've got that thing so jacked up, it's going to take strange and sudden to fix that. But that's not a problem because God is in the strange and the sudden kind of business. And he can do it right now. Just like he showed up at Perazim on David's behalf, he'll show up for you today if you'll just ask him. Just like when Joshua was called to help Gibeon, 
God will suddenly show up to help you because he's in covenant with you just like Joshua was with Gibeon. And just like Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises at midnight and the doors flew open, they had them shut in, the bands that were on them fell off, we're going to give you that chance right now, this morning, to pray and to sing your way toward your next suddenly. Today is the day for your suddenly, if you want one, if you need one. Today is the day for God to do a strange act, an awesome act, a quick act, a sudden work for you. Now what what we need to do right here is we have people who will pray with you. They've prayed all week. They're ready. They've prepared themselves to minister to you. And if there's anything in your life that you need right now, I understand Tom ain't here. Don't let that mess you up, okay? Because Tom wasn't going to heal you anyway. Tom wasn't going to break the bands that were had you bound up off of you anyway. And neither am I. And neither is whoever stands here and prays with you today. God's going to do that work. But just like righteousness, just as quickly as righteousness is given to you, the minute that you reach out with faith and take hold of God's grace, if you will come to the front, Put your faith with someone else's faith. It is possible that God could suddenly move on your behalf. And if you just don't come and you don't sing and you don't praise and you don't even give him a chance, then don't complain. Just go on home and be miserable. Act like you like it. I learned to say that from my pastor. All right? So right now these guys are going to go. We're going to sing, Today is the Day. Do it.